Dawn turned on her purple pillow. Late, late came the winter day. Snow was curved to the boughs of the willow. The sunless world was white and gray. At noon, we heard a blue jay scolding. At five, the last thin light was lost. From snow-banked windows, faintly holding the feathery filigree of frost. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Alexis and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of the seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of heavy snow, or taisetsu. Spanning from December 7th to December 20th, this season marks a change to freezing, darkening days. The sky is covered with foreboding clouds, and the fields that were once vibrant with life become silent as animals begin their hibernations. The season of heavy snow is preceded by the mini-season Little Snow, and followed by Winter Solstice. Heavy snow takes us from our milder autumnal journeys back indoors to wait out the harsher weather of winter. As in every season, there's lots to explore in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives as we begin our passage into this very special period. As snow falls, perhaps we will yet find light and warmth during these longer nights. Let's set out. The season of heavy snow is likely one that is easy to understand. This is the season that traditionally saw a lot of snowfall. Snow is a familiar sight for many at this time of year. The travel writer Paul Thoreau wrote that Winter is a season of recovery and preparation. I think snow certainly facilitates that. Yes, these days are for staying safe and warm indoors when we can. Snow forces us to take certain precautions. Essentially, we're forced to slow down during this season. It's a time to look around and catch our breath. You know, many parts of the world are experiencing snowy days right now. But growing up in California, that wasn't my experience, even in December. For snow to fall, temperatures have to be below freezing when precipitation occurs. In most parts of California, it just doesn't get that consistently cold. I have to admit, I used to wish I lived in a place where it would snow. Snow is so beautiful, isn't it? A snowy landscape looks almost otherworldly to me, like a world covered in shining white crystals. Yes, I can understand that fascination with snow. The reality is, of course, that snow can cause a lot of problems. 
It makes travel difficult, it can be dangerous, and after all, it's just so cold. Winter is a harsh time of year, and for those who have to live with snow every day for months on end, it certainly loses a bit of its romance. All that said though, I must say I agree with you, Kit. Snow can be beautiful. We have poetry on our side, Alexis. Here's a poem that reflects the beauty of falling snow. It snows, it snows from out the sky. The feathered flakes, how fast they fly. Like little birds that don't know why. They're on the chase from place to place, while neither can the other trace. It snows, it snows a merry play, is o'er us on this heavy day. Tomorrow will the storm be done, then out will come the golden sun, and we shall see upon the run. Before his beams in sparkling streams, what now a curtain o'er him seems, and thus with life it ever goes. Tis shade and shine, it snows, it snows. This poem certainly expresses a sense of excitement at seeing snowfall. You know, there's really something to that. Even living in a place where snow is expected each winter, there's a sense of giddy delight at seeing the first snowfall of the season. American playwright Sarah Rule once wrote, Snow is the only thing that comes down from the heavens and stays a while. It is with that sense of awe that I want to face the snow. But you know, even without snow, there is something beautiful about a muted winter landscape in shades of brown, grays, and purple. Let's explore some other facets to a wintry landscape and take time for Hero's Corner. The Kigo, the seasonal word, given me this time is Fuyugashiki, winter landscape or winter scenery. For some reason, this word has reminded me of the painting by Peter Bruegels, which is sometimes called The Hunters in the Snow. The one showing, at left, two men leading a pack of dogs, large and small, reaching the end of a cliff, with the scene opening up to a village below, with people skating and doing other things in the pods, and craggy alpine summits soaring beyond at right. There is a bird in flight in the sky, and it has a long tail. A pheasant? I thought of this painting because I'd vaguely remembered it as depicting falconry. I'd long thought that the hawk was a seasonal word. As any saijiki, or seasonal almanac, will tell you, the bird of prey belongs in the winter. The explanation is that falconry is done in the winter. This struck me as wrong, I thought, as I started living in the United States. Here you see hawks throughout the year. For the last couple of decades, even in New York City, I've been seeing the red-tailed hawk in the sky beyond my windows. Battling, the hawks left a gouge in the deep snow. Battling, the hawks left a gouge in the deep snow. As it turned out, I was completely wrong about Bruegel's painting. It depicts hunters, but they're not falconers. They're fox hunters, as an explanation says. 
By the lunar calendar, spring begins on the first day of the first month. And in classical poetry, as in haiku, patches of snow, yukima, were regarded as an indicator of the arrival of spring. However, patches of snow seem suitable for this time of year as well. This brings us to Saito Masaya's haiku collection, Snowbones. Published London, Isobar Press, 2016. At the outset, Messiah notes that in the dialect of the north of England, snowbones means remnants of snow after a thaw, patches of snow seen stretching along ridges, in ruts, or in furrows, etc., after a partial thaw. Messiah is from Akita, which is part of the snow country in Japan. In the ranking of prefectures by the yearly number of snowy days, Akita comes third, with 105 days a year, after Hokkaido, which is 121 days, and Aomori, which is 110 days. But Messiah's book is not about snow or snowbones. Rather, it's an elegy for his parents who died, first his mother and then his father, both dying in his hometown. Here are some particularly seasonal haikus from Snowbones. My snow boots huge step over the threshold. My snow boots huge step over the threshold. Sleeping alone inside the pillow, a blizzard. Sleeping alone inside the pillow, a blizzard. Snowbones are part of a winter landscape. So how about we explore our wintry terrain more broadly? Kagami Shiko, uh, who lived from 1665 to 1731, another of Basho's top 10 disciples, came up with this. No time to enjoy the evening twilight, winter landscape. No time to enjoy the evening twilight, winter landscape. The haiku poet Kato Gyotai wrote the next one, a painting-like haiku. In the river, a streak of river, winter landscape. In the river, a streak of river, winter landscape. May you find the artistic beauty in your own winter landscape this season, whether in the sky or on the ground. This wintry world may seem subdued and withered, but there is life all around. Hiro mentioned larger birds of prey, but if you look through the brambles, you'll discover a whole other winged world of winter birds. Yes, across a snowy landscape or on bare branches of trees, there is something heartening about seeing these bright spots of color. Hearing birdsong during wintertime is a reminder that life endures. I heard a bird sing in the dark of December. Magical thing and sweet to remember. We are nearer to spring than we were in September. I heard a bird sing in the dark of December. One bird in particular adds a special splash of color to wintry days, the northern cardinal. These birds don't migrate, so their familiar bright red feathers will still be seen amid the snow. 
This bird is so popular, it's actually the state bird in seven different states. Because the cardinal's red plumage is such a breathtaking sight on snowy mornings, I think the cardinal is a great kigo, or a seasonal word, for this season. When autumn woods are bare and dead, a crested bird of cardinal red sways like an oak leaf overhead and sighs, drear, drear, drear. When winter woods are white with snow and drifts pile high as wild winds blow, like flame, this torch-like bird doth glow and cries, wee, wee, wee. Cardinals are a stunning sight, whether you're an avid bird watcher or just a casual nature enthusiast. But they aren't the only birds you might glimpse on frosty days. There are several birds active in winter that are a cheerful sight, whatever the weather. Depending on where you live, you might see goldfinches, chickadees, the appropriately named winter wren, or others. Here's a poem that celebrates these winter birds. Do all the birds to the Southlands go? No. No. Oh, no. Chickadee, sparrow, bunting, crow, care not a whit when the wild winds blow. They care not a whit. They're sad not a bit. They think not of it when the wild winds blow. Maybe we should aspire to become more like these birds and take the windy winds of winter in stride. If you'd like to encourage a visit from some of these birds, here are some things you can do to make winter a little easier for them. Bird food high in fats like sunflower seeds or peanuts can provide a little more energy to keep our feathered friends going through the winter. A comfortable place to nest, like bird roost boxes, become even more attractive to birds if it's cold outside. And the ultimate luxury for winter bird watching might be the heated bird bath. Of course, it's important to consider safety precautions for our little avian allies. If you attract birds to your yard, please be responsible and keep your cats indoors. Other than that, we think you'll find it easy to enjoy the company of winter birds. Watching birds through my window always brings me a sense of gladness. Winterberry Branch calls winter birds for breakfast. I will feed you now. In fact, I think there are some birds that prefer winter to spring. Here's a haiku by Chiojo that describes a wren enjoying the season. The wren wishes to be in the snow, not the blossoms. And perhaps just one more poem about how birds may lighten our winter moods. The way a crow shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude.
Kit, I know this season is called Heavy Snow, but if I could name this mini-season, I would call it Darkening Days. The days are so short now. It seems we live so much of our lives in the dark. Yes, I agree with you. Darkening Days seems so appropriate, as this is truly a season of darkness. We have not yet arrived at the winter solstice on December 20th, and until then, the days grow shorter and shorter, and the nights longer and darker. Yet, one of the things I love about this time of year is treasuring the light when we have it, and creating our own glow at home. In our last episode, we talked about how these colder days are perfect for reading more. One story I return to again and again is Little Women. It's truly a comfort read for me. The March sisters certainly knew how to create joy and light within their home. Mrs. March got her wet things off, her warm slippers on, and sitting down in the easy chair drew Amy to her lap, preparing to enjoy the happiest hour of her busy day. The girls flew about, trying to make things comfortable, each in her own way. Meg arranged the tea table. Joe brought wood and set chairs, dropping, overturning, and clattering everything she touched. Beth trotted to and fro between parlor and kitchen, quiet and busy, while Amy gave directions to everyone as she sat with her hands folded. Family and friends are a light unto themselves. And despite how cold and chilly the winter scenery, chattering birds we discussed earlier can help to warm our spirits. There's always joy and hope to be found in the natural world. Perhaps this is why for centuries during this time of year, people brought greenery into the house. Yes, evergreens lift the spirit and flourish when everything else in nature is withered or dead. In tradition, evergreen plants such as mistletoe, holly, ivy, laurel, rosemary, bay, box, fir, and yew were used as decorations. They are strong life symbols, not only because they are evergreen, but because unlike most other plants, they bear fruit in winter. Often remarked during this holiday season are plants such as holly and ivy. Yet there is a whole world of greenery to explore. For example, decorations of rosemary were once very popular. Rosemary's rich, piney fragrance and evergreen resemblance to a small Christmas tree now make it a popular gift or token of appreciation. The plant is sometimes attributed to the Virgin Mary. However, most herbalists agree that a more likely derivation is that the name originally came from Ros Marinus, Latin meaning dew of the sea, a reference to the way rosemary plants clung to their native cliffs along the Mediterranean. Dew of the sea. I don't think I'll ever think of rosemary quite the same way again. The bard himself seemed to have a soft spot for rosemary, here are two lines from A Winter's Tale and Hamlet, respectively. There's rosemary and rue. These keep seeming and savor all the winter long. Grace and remembrance be to you. There's rosemary. That's for remembrance. 
Pray, you love. Remember. And there is pansies. That's for thoughts. You know, I think Shakespeare had a sense of seasonality that could have made him a good contributor to season by season. In Love's Labor's Lost, he wrote, At Christmas, I no more desire a rose than wish a snow in May's newfangled mirth, but like of each thing that in season grows. He certainly seems a kindred spirit. And if we're to keep that in mind, it wouldn't be December if we didn't discuss the holly and its bright red berries just a bit. Yes, December and holly go hand in hand. It would be a disservice not to bring up these cheerful plants, which are our seasonal comforts. In olden days, the prickly holly with its bright red berries was a traditional masculine symbol, bringing fortune and fertility to the household. While the smooth, variegated holly were considered to be female luck symbols, Here's a poem celebrating this evergreen. The holly, the holly, oh, twine it with bay. Come, give the holly a song, for it helps to drive stern winter away. With his garment so somber and long, it peeps through the trees with its berries of red and its leaves of burnished green. When the flowers and fruits have long been dead, and not even the daisy is seen. Then sing to the holly, the Christmas holly, that hangs over peasant and king, while we laugh and carouse neath its glittering boughs, to the Christmas holly we'll sing. As the days grow shorter and the light weaker, we look for hope on the horizon whatever form it may take. Holly and Rosemary not only help to cheer the house, but serve as preparation for the new season and new year ahead. Yes, you mentioned preparations. This really is a season of anticipation, isn't it? Whether you're rehearsing for a winter pageant, studying for end-of-term exams, or opening the advent calendar one day at a time, It seems everyone around us is preparing with the expectation of something special about to happen. There's also a specialness in partaking in those preparations, too. Perhaps in taking out that special tablecloth or placing those family heirlooms on display, the act of preparing becomes a beloved tradition in itself. Preparing for the holidays is its own joy. In my family, here's one of the verses to one of our favorite Christmas songs. People, look east. The time is near of the crowning of the year. Make your house fair as you are able. Trim the hearth and set the table. People, look east and sing today. Love, the guest, is on the way. This is something that is felt the world over, across many traditions. For example, in Japan, there is an activity occurring in this mini-season which is all about getting ready to begin anew. This is Shogatsu Koto Hajime, or the beginning of preparations for the new year. New Year's Day being one of the biggest holidays in Japan. Winter greenery makes an appearance again 
as people flock to the mountains to cut down bamboo and branches for sakaki decorations and clean up both the inside and outside of the house for purification of the surrounding environment. We have spring cleaning in the West, but in the East, they have New Year's cleaning. Because New Year's is such an important holiday, preparations begin early. Temples across Japan begin Shogatsu Kotohajime's ritual cleaning on December 13th. In many homes, though, families may wait until the last week of December to really start cleaning. The new year itself falls within the next mini-season, and depending on the tradition, may be considered a season of its own. But that's for another episode. Meanwhile, there's an important celebration that happens right at the end of our current mini-season. Yule! The heart of Yule is evergreen. The old year gone, the new pristine. The wheel again will turn to spring, this blessed time much joy to bring. Yule is sometimes grouped in with Christmas festivities, but in fact they were originally distinct celebrations. Yule celebrates the winter solstice, the day when the dark half of the year relinquishes to the light half. After these darkening days, the nights will grow shorter again, and the sunlight will, eventually, return. It's interesting to note that the word solstice comes from the Latin solstiti, which translates literally to sun stands still. In June and December, the sun appears to rise and set at approximately the same point on the horizon for six days. The solstice night is the longest night of the year, but through the darkness, there is much to celebrate. This was a time for celebrating around a bonfire with toasts of spiced cider. And you know, many Christmas traditions do have recognizable origins as Yule's traditions. For example, the Yule feast traditionally lasted 12 days, and for these 12 days, a whole tree would be burned in the hearth. Traditionally oak, which, as you may remember, was a tree considered to be a gateway to another world. This is where the Yule log comes from which we now enjoy as a cake, in the shape of a log. There is a wonderful poem by Susan Cooper called The Shortest Day. It begins, So the shortest day came, and the year died, and everywhere down the centuries of the snow-white world came people singing, dancing, to drive the dark away. I think this is a beautiful way to welcome Yuletide. Driving the dark away can apply to many traditions at this time of year. There are a myriad of celebrations which celebrate and honor the light in the dark. The flames of the menorah, the brightness of Kwanzaa's Mishuma Saba, the fairy lights wrapped around a Christmas tree, or a crown of candles worn in a young girl's hair. Candles in a young girl's hair? You must be talking about the celebration of Santa Lucia or Saint Lucy. Yes, this holiday is a particular favorite of mine, quite mystical and with so many interesting variations throughout the world. Mine too. I grew up with some of the Scandinavian traditions surrounding Santa Lucia Day. To bring our listeners up to speed, Santa Lucia Day is a feast day that falls on December 13th. The day honors Lucia of Syracuse, 
an early 4th century martyr who, according to legend, brought food to Christians hiding in the Roman catacombs. In order to carry as much food as possible, she wore a candlelit wreath on her head, instead of carrying a lantern, to light her way through the dark. Her feast day coincided with what was considered the date of the winter solstice according to the old calendars. However, when calendars changed to the Gregorian, the feast day of St. Lucy didn't. Nowadays, the feast day is considered a precursor of the Christmas season. But St. Lucy isn't just connected to light. She's also connected to darkness and mischief. In Norway between St. Lucy's Day, or Lucenaten, and Christmas, spirits, gnomes, and trolls roamed the earth. The name Lucia also has associations with the devil, Lucifer. In northern Sweden, there is a legend that Lucy was Adam's first wife. Another legend has Lucy as a feared enchantress, punishing anyone who dared work. Legend also had it that farm animals talk to each other on this night. Light and darkness are dueling during this time of year, aren't they? Yes, but light will win. We see that in the brightness and warmth of our gatherings and traditions. For example, in Sweden and Norway, on St. Lucy's Day, the oldest girl in the family dons a white robe with a wreath of candles on her head and serves her parents coffee and saffron buns or ginger cookies. Listeners, if you'd like to celebrate St. Lucy's Day at home, we'll share a recipe for these saffron buns, or lusikat, on our website, nourishingjapan.com. St. Lucy's Day brings schools, communities, and workplaces together through holiday pageants. A St. Lucy is selected and crowned and accompanied in a parade by other young boys and girls in costume. The day is full of song. Some of the costumes for St. Lucy's Day are really cute. Small children may be dressed up as Tomtenisar, little elves or gnomes, or boys look like little wizards in their pointy hats. They are called Star Boys, and their leader is Stefan, representing the stable boy of St. Herod. Night walks with a heavy step round yard and hearth. As the sun departs from earth, shadows are brooding. There in our dark house, walking with lit candles, Santa Lucia, Santa Lucia. Night walks grand, yet silent. Now hear its gentle wings in every room so hushed, whispering like wings. Look! At our threshold stands, white-clad with light in her hair, Santa Lucia, Santa Lucia. Darkness shall take flight soon from Earth's valleys, so she speaks. Wonderful words to us, a new day will rise again from the rosy sky, Santa Lucia, Santa Lucia. Another holiday celebrating light which takes place during this mini-season is Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. Kindle the taper like the steadfast star, 
a blaze on evening's forehead over the earth, and add each night a luster till afar, in eightfold splendor shine above thy hearth. Clash Israel, the cymbals touch the lyre, blow the brass trumpet and the harsh-tongued horn, chant palms of victory till the heart take fire, the Maccabean spirit leap newborn. Hanukkah is observed for eight nights and days by lighting the candles of a candelabrum with nine branches called a menorah or Hanukkah. Hanukkah takes place on the 25th day of the month of Kislev on the Hebrew calendar. That's another lunisolar calendar. Using the Gregorian calendar, that usually places Hanukkah sometime from late November to late December. This year, 2020, Hanukkah begins on the evening of December 10th and ends on the evening of December 18th. This holiday commemorates the rededication of the Temple in Jerusalem after a group of Jewish freedom fighters, known as the Maccabees, defeated the occupying Greek armies. The festival celebrates the triumph of light over darkness and of spirituality over materiality. It's not just the historical event that is celebrated. There's a spiritual side too, of course. According to the Talmud, a religious text, there was only enough consecrated oil to relight the candelabrum for one day. Yet, miraculously, it remained lit for eight days. The Talmud says, On the following year they, our sages, established these days as holy days for singing praise and offering thanks. That is to say, the sages didn't celebrate the miracles of Hanukkah right away. It was only after a year had passed and the season came around again that they established the spirituality of Hanukkah. So there may be a seasonal aspect to this holiday, in addition to the spiritual and historical aspects. I believe so. The end of a lunisolar month brings nights with virtually no moonlight. If the week of Hanukkah contains the darkest and longest nights of the year, the lighting of the menorah occurs when there is the greatest possibility for the revelation of light. Lighting the candles of the menorah is a centerpiece of the Hanukkah celebration. One candle is lit the first day, two the second, and so on, for eight nights. The ninth candle is called the shamash, and it's used to light the others. Families recite prayers and sing songs. In the window, where you can see the glow of my menorah on newly fallen snow, I will set you one little candle on this, the first night of Hanukkah. This is the season of lights in the darkness, indeed. Before we close, I want to point out one more joyful event which takes place during this mini-season. What's that, Alexis? Your birthday! Here is a birthday poem for you. Above the horizon, glowing still from a winter's day, is she, gentle and bright, never faltering, lighting the path of friendship for all those who see her, our steadfast friend, our evening star, Kit.
What a merry episode this has been. Thank you for joining us as we explored what is happening in the sky, the earth, and our lives during the season of heavy snow. In the darkening days ahead, we hope you will find light and warmth in caroling, festing, giving thanks, loving friends, and hoping for peace. Welcome, Yule. In this episode, some of the seasonal words, or kigo, we explored are snow, snowy landscapes, hawks and falconry, snowbones, winter birds, winter berries and greeneries, light in the darkness, rosemary, holly, anticipation and preparation, shogatsu koto hajime, yule, Santa Lucia, and Hanukkah. What are some other words or events you associate with these wintry days? If you'd like to share, email nourishingjapan at gmail.com and we'll post your seasonal words to our Facebook group. We'd like to extend a special thanks once again to Hiroaki Sato for his contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, narrated in this episode by Ed von Atterkass. We would also like to thank Russell Jones, Alexander Michelson, Catherine Piper, Ariel Kurtz, Eric Gallen, Carl Smith, Patrice Sartour, James Paul Gregory, Jonathan Weiss, Neil Kosali, Chris Whitaker, and special thanks to Glenn Tompkins for the accordion piece you heard during our segment on Hanukkah. The works featured in this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators. This episode, you heard poems and prose by Sarah Teasdale, Hannah Flagg Gould, Oliver Herford, Alice E. Ball, Amy Ludwig Vanderwater, Giojo, Robert Frost, Louisa May Alcott, William Shakespeare, Susan Cooper, Eliza Cook, Eleanor Fargion, and Emma Lazarus. If you'd like to learn more about them, please visit our website, nourishingjapan.com. And, in case you missed it, we've launched the Season by Season Companion Playlist on Spotify, our playlists bring the spirit and sound of our 24 mini-seasons to enjoy all season long. From J-pop to folk songs, this playlist will delight and surprise you. It's getting merrier and merrier. Just search for Season by Season Podcast on Spotify or visit our website. As this year draws to a close, we here at Season by Season wish to thank you again for joining us on our seasonal journeys through nature. In this season and every season, we are grateful for you, dear listeners. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode in a brand, in a brand new, new year. year. See you in another season. <laughs> <laughs>